right, everyone. Welcome to the show, Tennessee Wildcast. Good to have you here again. Jason Harmon's right over here, ready to do a good show with us. Todd Mazoris is sitting behind us. we got to pull a camera around on Todd sometime or let's let him stick his head in here or something like that. He's hiding in the corner. He's helping us with all our graphics. Todd's always great. Does a great job. And also in here is Mike Jolly. He's our guest today. And Mike is a fisheries biologist for TWR. He works over in the Crossville office trying to bring some folks in here. And we'll get with Mike about a lot of stuff here in a few minutes. Turkey hunting, that's what we're going to talk about, Mike. Great. <laughs> I love that. We'll get with Mike. We're going to talk a lot of fishing. We're going to talk about that great big bass that was caught on one of the most famous lakes in the country. That's from Tennessee. But we'll get there in a few minutes because we got some news to give them first. Jason, we want to keep the show full of current events. We want to keep folks on what's going on this time. Even though the shows are out there all the time, they're dated. You know when they are. But we want to start keeping everything up to date and let you know some stuff that's going on right now. And and uh, this week, we want to start with a little bit of sad news before we get to the happier news, Jason. And when you take your son out and you take him on the water, what do you put on him first? A life jacket. Always. For sure. Make them grow up wearing a life jacket so they never know the difference, just like a seatbelt. Put it on them from day one, never know the difference. And the same thing with a life jacket. We had a man here uh, a week or so ago, 10 days maybe now, still in the water, not found yet. He took his son out in a canoe on Percy Priest, which is in Middle Tennessee. It's only a few miles from where we're doing this show. Went out on a day where the wind was blowing 15, 20 miles an hour in a canoe. Him and a friend about his age, he's 36, and his 11-year-old son, the boat tipped over. The canoe did. 40 minutes of struggle in the water. Two of them had on life jackets and survived. The father of the 11-year-old son did not. 58-degree uh, water temperature. Man didn't know how to swim, did not have on a life jacket. And his son got to watch him drown. It was a windy day, it too. It was a windy day. Like, it was a terrible mistake. He took care of his son, but not of himself. And and uh, another fatality, Mike's been around a long time. He knows from watching wildlife officers, you guys have been around for a while. If you wear your life jacket, you got probably a 95% chance of surviving. Yeah. Unless there's just some kind of blunt force wreck yeah. you might have on the water. You're going to probably live... The worst, you know, even 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 if you don't survive, uh, the worst thing that I've seen through the years is the family waiting up on the shoreline for their mm. for their loved one to be found. And here it is, all these days later, this family's still waiting. So if you don't wear the life jacket for yourself, please wear it for your family. All right, they're easy. Mm. These inflatable jackets these wear the, that they make these days you don't even know they're on your body. And they even automatic inflate some of them. You know? Oh, absolutely. I've got one of them. You got the ones that pull, and you got the ones that automatically inflate. And that's the one I prefer just in case something happens on the way out, out of that boat. Okay, mm. so please wear your life jacket. I know a lot more of you probably are. But not enough of you are doing it yet, okay? And something else to think about, the kill switches. Make sure you wear that. If you're in a boat with a motor, sure. wear that kill switch. Shuts the engine off, won't run over you. Absolutely. And our guys were out there. I know Todd's throwing up some photographs. Our guys were out there working this week. And if you want to see a video about some of the technology that's needed to find a missing person out there, you ought to watch it. It's on the statewide Facebook page, TNWRA, shot by Barry Cross. Excellent video on what goes on trying to find a person with the technology. And... Uh, Matt Bryan and Matt Majors do a great job of explaining what's going on and, and why you should have on your life jackets. It's fascinating to watch and, and went pretty viral. We had something else that went pretty viral the other day, and I was talking to Mike about it before we started. Something about that Cumberland Plateau over there, that, what we call sort of the it's not quite east and it's not quite middle, but they got some good waters over there, and we've had yet another state record uh, broken over there. Uh, Mike was a part of the first one. Uh, his was a big largemouth, but this is a big northern brook trout, not a southern, a northern. And 
It was caught on April Fool's Day by Sasa Kresic, and I hope Mr. Kresic, I'm in the ballpark with your name, <laughs> but he was throwing a minna, and he caught that, and that's Tony Cross with him, Officer Cross, and Will Collier. Is that right, Mike? Yes, Will Collier. And he's a fish biologist over there, and they verified this catch. It was 4 pounds and 12 ounces, almost beat the old record that was 40-something years old, almost beat it by a full pound. Caney Fork River, I think right below the dam. Mm -hmm. And uh, the man was, uh, his story was he was going to fish a, a place he loved to fish all the time, but there were too many people standing in a spot, not uncommon for the Caney Fork River. And he right. went to another place and, and on his first cast, broke the record that's dead for 40 something years. First so, cast, that's something. First cast. <laughs> I don't guess he fished anymore the rest of the day. No. I wouldn't have. He went over and started talking to another angler. He's a Nashvilleian, by the way. He went over and started talking to a nearby angler and they started discussing the colors because they looked somewhat like a brown trout. Mm -hmm. But it was so big when he was bringing it in, he thought it was a brown trout. They get a lot larger. They discussed it, decided it was probably a brook trout, made a telephone call to Tony Cross. He came out there and said, I couldn't believe my eyes. And so there <laughs> you go. Another record for the Crossville office. Y'all must be doing something right over there, Mike. It happens every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about one here in a few minutes with you that, that happened one day and it about drove you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, update also, you turkey hunters, I think you're having a good year. Uh, Jason's not. I know he's got a shotgun now, but well, you got to go. You know, here in a few minutes, you're going to see a shot. I did get some photos of a, a couple of nice turkeys. They just wouldn't come in and cooperate the other day. That's your photos. That's right. Okay. All right. We'll get it back. Back up just a minute there, Todd. That's Ed Carter. Uh, Ed Carter is the director of TWRA and loves to turkey hunt. We went out with him the other day, more for a photo shoot than anything, though he, he can turkey hunt now and he can call. Uh, but I want to remind everyone, we are putting messages on the top of our website from our director and from others uh, about things going on. Uh, it's tnwildlife.org, tnwildlife.org. You can go out and watch his message. And uh, he gives a good turkey message out there. Now, the turkey hunters this year so far have harvested as of, uh, oh gosh, the what second full week of turkey season. You're throwing yep. the kids there a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, 16,511 birds. Yeah. So that's pretty good. We'll awesome. still 30 more days or so to go in the season yeah. when we did this show. So you're doing pretty well out there. We've had a lot of good days, Mike. Don't you think? Yeah, pretty good. It uh, seems like some weather patterns with a lot of high winds and uh, cold fronts is kind of worked its way in and gave a little bit more challenge than than usual i guess but pretty good days overall pretty good not, not so yeah. much rain this no time, not though. as much just rain. kind of cold days right you never know a turkey hunting i remember six or seven years ago we had a hard freeze when it opened yes. and then we've had days that are balmy and but they seem to be doing pretty good looks like anyway that the pattern will get, be at least that thirty thousand plus birds that we normally that's get. what it appears to be yeah. and, well, and this I, weekend's looking real good 70 something highs and absolutely. should be pretty pretty saturday well maybe even you will get out hey Maybe. Let's see what happens. Get a bird. I hope you do. Anyway, all right, that's what's going on. We need to introduce our guest because we want to spend the rest of the time with Mike Jolly. Mike Jolly is a Region 3, which means Cumberland Plateau in our parlance. And right the valley then. Pardon me? <laughs> Off in the valley a little Off bit. Off in the valley. He's a <laughs> reservoir biologist over in the Region 3 office. Mike, how long have you been there? I've been working in fish management for going on 23 years now. Okay. And yeah. when I say reservoir biologist, is that correct? Yes, reservoir okay. biologist. What does that mean to us, us folks that, that don't live in your world exactly? <laughs> right, sure. It would, um, so what it entails is basically what, it, what it, the name captures is all the reservoirs within Region 3. Uh, we have nine reservoirs, which is about 150,000 acres of water. Uh, a so lot of water. A lot of water. Yeah. And a lot of uh, habitat, uh, of course, diversity within the, the systems, even though they're just separated by a dam many times. Uh, so a lot of different species of fish that we look at 
but it's uh everything within that water that deals with the fish and the anglers and the habitat uh you know we're we're looking at it making assessments uh looking at the resource you know and okay. the sustainability of it so name some of the waters over there what are the big lakes that you got so as we come down the tennessee river watch bar uh chickamauga nickajack the upper portion of gunnersville that lies in the state of tennessee of course uh, as we get up on the cumberland plateau would uh be looking at Del Hollow, Center Hill, Great Falls. We also have Parksville uh, that the Okoy River empties into okay. over there. All right. That's a yeah. lot of bodies of water and yeah. some pretty famous ones in there, too. We uh, all love the ones you just named, right? Absolutely. None of them are too far for well, anywhere in Tennessee, but if you're in the middle western part of the state, as long as you're not way west, not a bad drive. To not a bad drive at all. Yeah. And we see people really commute within those bodies of water. Uh, quite often depend on what their target species is and of course cordell hull being on our our western edge of our region there that's a very good reservoir as well i love cordell hull i, I haven't fished the lakeside so much as i have really right below the dam where yeah. it's called old hickory but sure. it's still the same water coming out of there oh, i love fishing down there and you got the caney fork river and right just a little i don't know how that works exactly where some of it edges right there into middle tenant into region two but right it, it does really rich it, it it is rich. We were going to talk about one of the lakes that there that people will easily travel to, from um, from Middle Tennessee, but not just Middle Tennessee, all over the country, uh-huh. and that's Chickamauga. Yes, Lake is Lake Chickamauga or Chickamauga Lake. Either one. We hear you know at least you say Chickamauga because we hear Chickamauga, Chickamauga. <laughs> you know, so a lot of people really wrestle with that uh, word. A lot of people. Uh, and uh, we, there was even an article done about the proper pronunciation of Chickamauga a while back. Uh, but it really is people from all over different nation, uh, not different nations, but within the nation traveling down. A lot of out-of-state people are really setting their vacations there, even uh, buying a lot of homes in that area because of the fishing. There. Because of the fishing. Yeah. That is where our, the state record bass came from that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. 15 pounds, 3 ounces caught in February of a year ago this February, right. this past February. On the 13th, we were yes. talking about earlier, uh, Gabe King caught him. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. But it, the, before Gabe caught that fish, there were other folks out there just – you were seeing photographs of these guys weighing in st- stringers of fish that yes. – that, there you go, right there. Stuff like this. This made oh. this lake – long before Gabe caught his fish, these kind of photographs were making Chigamaga famous across the country. Really? And it was uh, – we had – a stringer like this, we had a 44-pound stringer uh, recorded and also a 49-pound uh, stringer with five fish uh, recorded. And that was uh, not – those were not tournament weigh-ins, but they were officially <laughs> weighed and all that, you know, as, as best they could. But it, it really brought a significant exposure to Chickamauga because of people abs- absolutely went wild when they would see these pictures. And a lot of 8, 9, 10, 11-pound bass were being caught. Uh, we had one at 13 pound that was caught uh, in 2013, so that was knocking at the door of the state record then. So everybody realized the great potential that was there. Uh, tournament weigh-ins were higher than they had ever been. Uh, krill clerks were seeing bigger fish than they had seen, and just a lot of feedback from the public. And uh, so it was really setting the stage, you know, for excitement and anticipation of a possible record being broken. And it was. And it, it was. was. And, okay, and I want to back up. I missed something early, Mike. Your job as a reservoir biologist is to do what? What are you to do? on, a, on Your daily work is. We really are looking out for the resource, you know, and looking out for all the species of fish that we have. You know, Tennessee is uh, really diverse in fish species. So it's a, it's a great challenge uh, looking at all the different species. They all uh, have different uh, preferred habitat. 
a lot of different pressures and different things. So we're looking at we're looking at the species through different kinds of data collections. We also, uh, of course, monitor their habitat, and we're also listening to our angling public. Uh, so if the resource is in good condition, good shape, and sustainable uh, through the best management practices that we can institute with those, uh, then it really makes it a viable resource for a lot of different uh, areas of recreation uh, and different things. Okay, I'm going to go back to Chickamauga, but my but my brain is also wanting me to talk about Del Hollow, Smallmouth, Del Hollow, Del Hollow. <laughs> we Del can Hollow. do that, and and we will. We might not make it this show, but we're going to yeah. keep you for a couple of shows. We're going to have Mike on again next week because he traveled in to talk to us, and he's just too many things to talk about. <laughs> but Chickamauga, what makes this lake? Uh, why is the management so good on it right now? It is part of the Tennessee River system, which goes so far. But why Chickamauga? Well, you know, I get asked that question uh, quite a bit, and understandably so. And I've attributed it to being the perfect storm, Doug. It's really, there's a lot of factors that came together right there. Chickamauga had always been, uh, had a reputation for good spawning habitat, a lot of uh, year-class strength of fish, which means every year they're getting a good production off, and those fish are making it through to that catchable size. But it also has a great forage base, threadfin, gizzard, shad. Uh, the aquatic vegetation has really uh, come back and been more sustained in the last few years, providing even more preferred habitat for those fish. Uh, so when all that come together, and it did, uh, it was really a, a, a perfect setting for, for the stocking of Florida bass that bred with the northern bass that were there, the pre-existing bass in Chickamauga, and really had all the ingredients they needed to achieve those great sizes, they already had good growth rates that we had seen before, uh, and it was only enhanced uh, throughout the stocking project, you know. Okay, and you're talking about the Florida largemouth that was, there's, there's uh, some fingerlings that are going in, mm-hmm. getting ready to be stocked. This, this, where does the credit go to this, Mike? It started 15 years, give or take a so ago. Yeah. Did it start by a local bass club, by TWRA? Where's the credit go for all this? It was, re- it was a project that started in the year 2000. Uh, there had been a lot of talk about what can be done at Chickamauga Bass Fishery because used to it was the host of some major tournaments. Uh, the aquatic vegetation in the early 90s was basically gone, uh, and the fishery kind of went with it, and so people started going to Gunnersville in different places. So the fishermen have, are very passionate about Chickamauga, especially the guys that had seen it back in the glory days of the 80s. There's a Chattanooga the Bass fall. Club down there that I know is passionate. Very, Go very ahead. passionate. Yeah. They, they've been great to work with with us. I could get into that a little bit later as well. Um, so the fishermen uh, and TWRA shared the thought of, you know, what can we do to really promote Chickamauga into being what it can be? Uh, so there was a lot of different discussions on what that would be. Settled in on the uh, stocking of the Florida largemouth bass uh, because the criteria that we needed to be there uh, for it to have that possibility of making it were in place at Chickamauga. So it was a good fit. Uh, a lot of help with the bass fishermen helped us uh, in that first year. Uh, even uh, raised some money to to put forth towards the fingerling stockings, and they've been very excited about it. And really, with any trophy management program that you would want to do, uh, you would need the support of, of course, your, the public. You know, going into that venture, and they've been very supportive, and they're very excited about it. And and we're patient. It's not a it's not anything that's going to happen overnight. Well, with the time we have, it goes so fast. But with the time we have left in here, that the Chickamauga bass, I want to make sure they know that that. This is the F1. This is the the offspring, the the hybrid version that's right. really making the news, is it not? Yeah, that's a, yes. So 
a lot of the thought from the public was these pure Florida bass that they're stocking are going to be the very fish that we see in that 8, 9, 10, 11 pound range eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were a lot of unknowns because, as I said, every reservoir is different. So how things are going to react to different stocking regimes and things like that are, you know, is what we monitor. Uh, but what we found out through electrofishing surveys and genetic tests um, was it was not the pure Floridas that were showing up. It was the uh, hybrids and the back crosses. So a hybrid being a cross between a pure Florida and a pure northern, uh, which pure northern being the existing fish in Chickamauga uh, before the stock. And although there was some Florida genetics already present in the population there at a minimal amount, back cross being a hybrid crossing with another hybrid or a hybrid crossing back to a pure Florida or a pure I'm northern. With you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So th- we were seeing a lot of back crosses, but what we found through genetic studies, Doug, is that the back crosses, even the back crosses are outgrowing the, the population that was there before the stock. And the, and the oh, hybrids are the ones that are really exhibiting the greatest length and pounds, you know, per age. Was the state record 15.3 caught by Gabe Keen? Was yes. it a hybrid? It was a hybrid. Okay. Uh, it was a 12-year-old fish. Uh, which the thing about it being 12 year old goes back to uh, if you, if you wanted to give it a birthday it would be 2003 and in 2003 on the Tennessee River system there was a there was a lot of spring rains and a flood that year and the bass really got off a great spawn so there were a lot of fish out there to reproduce and interact with the fish that we had stocked. Okay, all right, and you're seeing photographs now of Gabe. That's Gabe right there on the screen with his bass that he caught and and. Um, he had a great day out there that he day. He did. You didn't. You were at the Turkey Federation <laughs> at the NWTF on the very day that fish got called, and you said your phone blew up, and it you never up. got to look at a call while you were there. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Gabe's a good guy. Brought him to great Nashville, guy. took photographs of him, and, and documented his catch, put him in a magazine. If you want to read about Tennessee Wildlife Magazine. But it was a great day. Mike, will it be broke again? Will this lake, will this lake sustain the fame that it's got right now? Will Chickamauga be this famous five, ten years from now, and will there be another record? You know, I think the the possibility of an, of another record could happen today. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. If it took it five years, I really wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, a lot of different factors going into that. Uh, of course, this fish was a 12-year-old fish. That's about maximum life, you know, for the fish. And you lose a certain amount of your population each year through different kinds of mortality. Uh, so that's being reduced each year. There's more pressure on Chickamauga than there's ever been. For sure. Uh, for sure. So five or ten years um, – I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. We we feel like it will be sustained. I don't know how the levels will be comparable to what we've seen this first eight, nine, ten years and and twelve uh, within this program. Uh, but that's there's a lot of focus on Chickamauga with this project uh, nationwide through uh, through other biologists and stuff just to see the reaction of how it's going to do over time. Is the habitat staying the same? Still the habitat got- for right now is. And so when I talk about that perfect storm. Uh, one thing that would concern me, not I'm, I'm not concerned now about it, is if one of those main factors, ingredients, if you will, were taken out of that, such mm-hmm. as the aquatic vegetation, uh, forage base, which would be highly unlikely. Uh, but, but you know, all those need to be there, those components in place. Does TWA to, kill the forage over there? No. <laughs> we do not. <laughs> it's a rumor that's gone around for a long time. Yeah, we the do not. does not kill. We like habitat. <laughs> we like habitat. All right, Mike, we're going to run out of time, Mike, and it goes so quick, but you're coming back next week. And, sure. and uh, Chickamauga is a great lake. I hope folks continue to go there, but it has other fish in it. I know yes. it's got good crappie. I've caught good shellcracker. 
and come back next week and let's talk about that portion of the lake and i also want to talk about dohala be happy to and i want you to pull out a turkey call because i know you're turkey hunter and and when we come back next week the very beginning of the show close to the beginning yeah Let's do a little turkey talk. That'll work. Okay? That works for me. That's what I want to do. Um, Gabe here. Gabe is shown here. And have you talked to him per chance since he caught this fish? Yes, I have. He has uh, talked to him a couple of times. Just a great guy, a great recipient of catching uh, such a fish as this. And uh, just been a, a really good guy. You know, he was already set up as a high school bass fishing coach there. So he's he's really been able to use that and, and propel uh the resource management and the agency and different things and as far as just the excitement of bass fishing into this into those students minds even more so yeah uh, but he's teaches just, he's world a, history or something like yes that, right. there as, as a teacher yeah. that's a good deal and, and a question real quick uh, before that music goes off access on chickamauga is it good it's not great oh okay uh, we got more okay go ahead it, yeah it's not great uh there's there's not a so the upper third half of chickamauga is real riverine uh, there's not a, there's not a, a great number of uh, access points there. Uh, the major one there in Dayton is about mid reservoir, so the locals there now have found a, a real challenge to be able to put a boat in and just go out and do what they've done for years because of all the large tournaments and pleasure fishermen that are coming in and vacationing there now. So it, it really is an issue there, uh, and I know we've looked at ways to help out with uh, ramps that are not necessarily TWRE ramps, you know, but try to go in and help uh, rejuvenate some of those, uh, look to some county municipalities for maybe helping with some of their ramps and all that we can do there. So, no, it, it, it could stand some more boat ramps for sure. Okay. All right. And Chickamauga is part of the Tennessee River system. Is it a warm part of the system? Is it a cool part of the system? How far are you down when you get there? And does that matter? Yeah, it's it's really pretty much the same as the uh you know nicky jack below it and watch bar above it right there but you know warm water for sure uh, uh but it's a it's a really each reservoir is so different and chickamauga even within itself with the upper end being more river but the bottom end being more lake like uh you know with a lot more habitat for spawning and different things like that nicky jack is one that and when we talk next week i at least want to mention a nicky jack i have fished it several times now and with a guy named uh Rick McFerrin, great fisherman, and, and he's caught a lot of bass, but I, they don't look like the size that we're seeing coming out of Chickamauga. Yeah. Is there a reason for that? Not that I would know of because Nicky Jack's really got a lot of uh, forage base there as well. Yeah, maybe know, Rick's just so. not all as good as we think he is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, we caught a lot of bass out of there, but yeah. you cross over Nicky Jack from Nashville going toward Chickam going your way, right. and it's just a great-looking lake. Yeah, it really I is. I just wonder if it could produce those fish. I think so. There. And, you know, we've started uh, the stocking program with Florida Bass and Nicky Jack and Watts Bar last year within Region 3. So, uh, and, uh, so we'll be anxious to look at that through the years to come. Okay, how many lakes are getting Florida largemouth now? Five across the state, uh, to the best of my knowledge. So there'll be three in Region 3 now. Of course, Chickamauga, uh, even though we've met and exceeded our initial goals of the project, we're still stocking Florida Bass there. And then Watts Bar and Nicky Jack have come on. All those lakes you named early in the show, is there one, not necessarily for bass, that people don't think about as much as others that's really a good lake to go fishing? You know, I guess some of our sleeper lakes would be more of a Parksville Great Falls. They're about 2,000 acres each. They're kind of tucked and out of the way, but uh, with Great Falls has some great crappie fishing uh, in it, and we've been stocking crappie uh, in Parksville now for three years and really hoping to get that established with black nose crappie there and hope to be putting walleye in it soon as well. But we really got some uh, pretty good um, red ear bluegill fishing 
in Parksville and different places, but they don't have a lot of access points. There's not a lot of pressure there. They're really kind of under the radar. Um, but, you know, as, as far as uh, different catfish places, too, I mean, like Watts Bar, you know, Chickamauga has taken so much of the spotlight that, that people even on Watts Bar are traveling, you know, to the next reservoir down to Chickamauga now and they could jack the same way up the reservoir. So those two places have great potential for, for a lot of good fishing as well. Uh, Watts Bar has a really awesome smallmouth bass fishery, you know, and really proud of it. Uh, it's, it's doing well. Okay. So. Would you, if you had the name in your Chickamauga, what would be the one right behind Chickamauga? Or are you going to really surprise us and tell us there's one better than Chickamauga in, just in for part of the world? Bass fishing just or, for bass fishing. Yeah. I, you know, couldn't leave Del Hollow out. It's, yeah. it's just been unreal with a, with a smallmouth bass fisherman. Uh, had went and talked with a, uh, out doing some surveys the other day, was able to talk at a, at a the boat dock owner there at Cedar Hill Resort and was talking about four of his clients had come in. And they were catching 50 to 60 smallmouth bass a day, you Dude, know, collectively. Gosh. And so, and all nice fish, you know. And so we, I hear a lot about people catching 15 to 20 smallmouth a day. And, I mean, two and a half, three pound plus fish, you know. So where else in, can you go do that? I mean, it's just phenomenal. I actually know? had an email from somebody the other day wanting to know, could we put florida largemouth bass in del hollow lake <laughs> and i wrote no in big long big <laughs> yeah. large letters right. <laughs> not gonna happen yeah. not gonna happen is it? it no not i mean not there's no recommendation on our part to do okay. it's just like one email sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i've heard I've, i have been asked that question basically on every reservoir that i manage and beyond you know that that they really think that's the magic bullet with the florida bass and i i could see how it would get that appearance by looking at chickamauga and the success and as we look at pictures of gabe you know with that big fish and these large stringers of fish and it looks like you know you're stocking some super fish out there and it's going to work everywhere and it's absolutely not you know going to work everywhere it's the ingredients have to be in place and yeah and you certainly don't uh, want to go mess up the best smallmouth lake in the country exactly and, and uh, it is the best smallmouth lake in this country anyway you catch a lot of smallmouth up in canada but they don't get as big as no, they do in del hollow no inconsistent yeah, and, and I wanted to save this for next week, but is there another record smallmouth? I may ask you again next week, but is there another record smallmouth in this state? Can 11 pounds, 15 ounces be beat on Del Hollow or somewhere else? You know, um, a few years ago, and I've got the picture hanging in my office, a guy had called a below Chickamauga Dam, the upper end of Nickajack, a smallmouth bass over 10 pound uh, right there. Uh, it was a huge fish, and I begged the guy when he had, whatever he was going to do with it to get the uh, the head out of it where I could get the oldest, which were the ear bones, so I could age it, different data. But the guy never got back with me on that. But but that showed me, and talking to some of the other fishermen, even on the Tennessee River, especially in these tailwaters, catch a lot of really big, you know, seven, eight pound, not every day, but smallmouth bass, you see them. So I think the potential's there. Um, but I, it's... Uh, it would be more of a surprise to see that than another largemouth record, in in my opinion. I think so, yeah. especially with what you're doing with the Florida largemouth. Yeah. I think it probably would be, too. Anyway, well, good deal, Mike. And and before we go, let's go ahead and talk about turkey for a second because I kind of messed up our time in here a minute ago. <laughs> but uh, uh, turkey hunting, you love it? Love it. And um, um, how have you done so far this year? I had, I've, actually, and it's going to sound like excuses, but I've only been a couple of times. Uh but uh, I did get to go over the weekend there and uh, had some close encounters with some gobblers, but some hens uh, really outdid me, you know. So they were very active uh, and, and breeding with the hens and different things there. So uh, it, it's in full swing, and uh, they were 
uh, it was good to see them, and so I guess I'll go back and visit that at another time. How, how is it hunting on the plateau versus down in where we hunt around the Nashville area? Well, Katusa, you know, was always known as having those real native wild birds. And if you killed a Katusa bird, even if it was 17 or 18 pounds, was a much greater trophy in a lot of people's eyes than a 30-pound bird in Middle Tennessee or West Tennessee just because they were so wild-acting and hard to deal with in those mountainous terrains and, and uh, just their nature. All right. You know. Pull off that call for next week. You're coming back. Sure. We're going to catch some crappie next week with Mike. Great. We're going to talk about some lakes over there and some bluegill and stuff, okay? All right. Enjoyed the talk. Jason, thank you very much. Thank you, Doug. Maybe by next week you'll have a turkey, but I doubt it. <laughs> thank don't you, forget, Ty. Don't Do forget it. to watch uh, on TWRA TV. Catch it on our homepage or go to tnwildcast.com and listen. All right. And we're all the shows that we've taped are out there that we've done so far. Todd, thank you for the work, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>